Nick, I think this might be actually this this is the most prepared Tywa Sap episode in, in the a long time. nearly two years we've been doing. This. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Nick, I agree. No, you don't, I, even, you, buddy. Oh, you don't. I mean, the fact that you are here prepared I is see, obviously a big part of it. I see your notes, and I assume that those are things that you have d- done, like you know that you're very prepared. So I just assume that like we got we we're like look at how prepared we. And are. and Nick, with that, we're not going to talk about the fact that the Cardinal still is here. We're not going to talk about any other shenanigans. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna Wait, get into the show. Real quick, you say still? Don't you mean like has returned? No, she's she's still flipping. Like she might. I be thought gone. she left. She 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 teases, but she's still here. <laughs> she, she and teases. like I I literally almost took a picture of her today just to send to you, just to prove that I'm not insane. Like she's. In, I mean, in, I never I never this thought plane you were of existence. Yeah, shut up, you butt. All right, Nick, oh, we're gonna start man. the show. Welcome to the year we started a podcast. It's a podcast born Phoenix-like from the prepared and etc. Whatever podcast. Um, there's a, there's a there. Yeah, we're yeah, we're ready. Yeah. We weren't ready for the intro, but we're ready for the show. I am your co-host Jeff. I am your other co-host Nick. Nick. Okay, we have to do two uh, housekeeping things first. One, um, I started reading a fiction book again. None of them that you recommended. I feel bad, but it is what it is. Yeah, it's fine. What do you uh, mean? We are Legion. We are Bob. It is a science fiction. It has the same. Um, uh, it has the same uh, audio Author. reader. What's the? What's the? What's oh, the narrator. Nar- thank you. It has the same narrator as um, the. Uh, what was? Gosh, dang! I'm I'm blanking on this. The. Um, as uh oh gosh the 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 uh, other Hail, the ha- uh, Hail Mary by anyway. Yeah, 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 Project Hell Mary. Uh, it has the same narrator as that. And so, like, that was always in the back of my mind. Like, I like that so much. And I just, I want to dip back in. And this is one of the m- most, like, adjacent uh, science fiction books. Uh, that's actually a series, I think. I think there's, like, three books. Anyways, I'm getting ready to wrap up uh, book one. And very looking forward to more. It's weird how, what like, if I can convince myself to get over the intro hurdle, I just dive into things. It's crazy. But anyways, I don't really have anything, like, uh, interesting to say other than it's a very interesting concept about science fiction and okay. uh, uh, and just, uh, I, I honestly, it, it doesn't, we're not, we're not going to get into it today, Nick. It's, it's, we have too many other good things. Um, my, my main thing that I wanted to talk about before we get into cool stuff is, um, have you, when's the last time you've sold a car? Uh, so, well, I purchased a new car for the only time in my entire life in 2019, and I sold them my old car, or that's not true, I, I, we were going to sell them my old car, and then I sold it to a friend. So I, yeah. I have one time in my life sold a car to a friend, a family friend, and my car had 230,000 miles on it, I wasn't getting a lot of money out. <laughs> so that's, so here's, here's my situation. So first off. I hate the whole concept of selling a car because you know, like it's such a weird, intimate thing. Like, like I, my stupid butt has been in this stupid car for so long. Like I know all the yeah. weird things about it. And uh, so, like recently, a few months ago, we had purchased a a new family vehicle, and now we 
needed to sell old family vehicle. And it is a 2008 and has 205,000 miles. I've replaced the transmission in this stupid car. Like, it has a handful of things that are not right about it, for sure. Right. And I'm not trying to, like, make, you know, I'm not trying to make a fortune off this, this little stinker. But, like, I just, I just, I want to, like, make a reasonable amount of money off of selling it. But just the amount of human interaction required to sell a car to a third party is just It's a lot. Enormous. It's a, it seems like a lot. I was very intimidated by it. I was just like, okay, how little money would I take for my old car? <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, like, what do I do? Like, is it okay to just let them drive away? I guess so, because they're going to leave whatever car they drove in with. But, like... But then do yeah. I ask, what, how do, like, I haven't exchanged funds with a non-company person for uh-huh. Uh-huh. any amount of money in literally my entire life. Like, is cash the best? I, I literally work in finance. I don't even know. Like, Yes, <laughs> and then there's there's a good PayPal option, too. Um, but, like, I mean, it depends, dude. It de- I, that's so, it's so hard, dude. It's so, so hard. You should not do, what you should not do is, like, Zelle or, like, freaking uh, a cash app yes. or Venmo. Because I think they can you can those. you can dispute those. Yeah, yeah, yeah I am yeah, smart yeah. enough those... to not do that. Yeah, yeah. yes. Uh, b- bike selling is like a b- really big thing. Like everyone always resells their bike when they get a new bike. And Jen and I luckily have not had to do that except for we did sell her first bike, and it was the easiest thing ever. And we did it in ca- we did cash only. And I was like, okay, I think that was the only time in our life it'll ever be this easy. Let's just never get another bike. Like let's just <laughs> stay with me. <laughs> it'll be fine. It'll be fine. I'm only mm. buying new things, and I drive them until I ship them off the cliff, and that'll exactly. be it. <laughs> Correct. Like, yeah. I will drive this car until it has no more miles left to give. Which is, the sad thing is, is, like, that's kind of where we were at with this. Like, it has yeah, yeah. 205,000 miles. We've replaced it. And, like, I just didn't have the heart to, like, give it away to the dealership for a 1000 bucks or whatever they were willing to give right. for it. Right, And, like, I mean, I know I can do better than that with any amount of, like, effort at all. If I can just yeah. get over myself, even the tiniest of bits. Um, and, and, like, I know it's not going to be that bad. And, and, but I, I am going to list it. Uh, on on good old uh, Facebook Marketplace, I guess tomorrow. Oh, good luck with that. I have no idea how uh, that goes. So I don't. I don't even know what to do. I think that's the easiest route. I don't even. I probably. But anyways, I'm gonna report back on how selling a car goes. And I this probably seems like an alien thing to be anxious about as a person who's probably been in the world longer than me, or somebody who's I don't know a more responsible, more outgoing person than myself. But the the thought of like uh, just I don't want to I don't want to barter. The whole bartering system with no, no, used vehicles great. is just oh gosh! I just I just want to I want to put it up for a price and you buy it and then we'll never talk yeah. and then you somehow send the money to me it gets here safely and then I give you the car and I just I, I'll like wave at the at the the you know on my on my front step <laughs> and tell you goodbye and I never hear from you again. I know that's not how it actually works, but that's in my no, mind how I'd sure like it, it is. to work. Well, that's how it works. That's how it works. If you want to, like, you know, lose two thirds of the value of your car, like you can, you can. I've googled it, Nick. You can have people come pick up your car with no questions asked. They will not pay I... you any money for it, hardly. <laughs> oh my gosh, Jeff. Um, Nick, you have a good topic. I have two. I'm so excited for your topic. I have two so things that you. I really want to talk about. So we're gonna hop right into it. Um, please. 
Uh, did you know that we sent a really cool telescope recently into um, the... No, I haven't heard anything about it. If anyone's told me about it, I just filtered that information out of my life. So I'm going to send you this here. This will be the very first thing you've ever seen. Um, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about JWST, another update. And Good. I feel like it's fallen out of the zeitgeist that is uh, the internet. So I, I, I feel like now I can like take a more leveled approach what to some of these things. What is this photo? <laughs> Um, okay. <laughs> Just real briefly, real, real briefly, do you want to explain what you're seeing right now? I mean, okay, so it's space, and there's like three, uh, I don't even know what they're looking, like they're, what you'd call them, like, I assume they're like solar systems or something. They're, they're three, three galaxies. Oh, galaxies. Okay, they're galaxies, they're swirling lights of amazing beautifulness, especially the big one on the right, which is slightly oblong, and has a slightly oblong, uh, like, even brighter center, and it's like, swirls of red and light blue light mostly red of just stars everywhere oh my gosh and there's two more that are smaller yeah, and yeah, one yeah. Blue. okay um, yeah, yeah. i accidentally um sent you the wrong links to the classic thing i want to talk about um can you uh real quickly uh, delete pull, that from my brain delete that nope. from your brain and then okay. in the show notes that are uh our, our today's show notes uh-huh. Um, I have two images uh-huh. that I want you to compare. I, I kind of jumped the gun a little bit. Um, so watch the or look at the first one, and then you're a bad um, person. Okay, it didn't autoplay. Uh, <laughs> Jeff is Jeff is literally straight out of uh, 1999 or 2006, and sent me <laughs> never gonna give you up. Uh, so I appreciate oh, that I, a lot. I've upset your dogs lot. too. You see, you've upset my dog. It's great. Okay, um, so after the Rickroll. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just had to do no, that. No, 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 I, I respect it. I do. <laughs> but no, 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 I actually did send you the wrong link, though. This isn't, uh, what? This isn't the same thing. The, Jeff sent me the older photo, and it's it's like... No, no, it's, no, it's not older. It's not older. Let me explain. Oh, okay. There's, there's okay. a lot more here to this than what you are Ooh. thinking there might be here. Um, so I, I sent you the more quote-unquote detailed version first um there actually have been two like more what i would consider to be uh i don't know prettier pictures than what you're looking at uh okay. one the first one was from the hubble which i haven't sent you um, and then the second one was from the near cam um and the one that i sent you just now is from miri which is the mid mid infrared camera okay and what we're looking at is and honestly it's kind of cool that you've seen them in the wrong order that i wanted to show you um because you'll you'll kind of have an appreciation for what you're looking at on the outside of it. Um, yeah. But anyway, so this was a, a spiral galaxy that had a smaller galaxy ram into the middle of it. Uh, that, that oh, crashed my God. Into the middle of it. And so what you are looking at in both That's of these so pictures is a, basically a, a two-layer ripple. Um, it will continue to probably ripple out. Uh, just how gravity works is pretty wild. Um but the 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 middle part is the 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 second ripple. But the first ripple is like the outside ring in the picture that I've sent you most recently. Okay. Um, and what's really really cool is um, what happened when that rippled out is it picked up a lot of space dust. Thank you, gravity, uh, and created like a whole star forming like outside ring around that entire galaxy. I, I was going to say, it is like shockingly bright on the outside compared yes. to the inside. Yeah. 
Yes. And we were never able to see a whole lot of detail of that outside ring until we took a picture using Miri, which is the mid-infrared. The mid-infrared is the thing that can see through all the dust. So, okay. like, we, we knew that, that there were lots of stars being created, but this uh, this first look through the mid-infrared allowed us to see really all the detail around that. That's and really I just, cool. I think it's, I mean, the the original picture I sent you is is beautiful. And the one that the Hubble took as well is is beautiful. I just I love the idea that we can somehow through science just turn off dust and just <laughs> see through to like this whole star forming thing. It is I just I love the science behind it so much. It just well, it made me so happy. Me too. It sounds it sounds like unrealistic like oh yeah, this camera sees through dust so that we can get a more detailed photo, but also of a star forming ring. Around the outside of a galaxy that There's has been two hit by another. Are, yes, it's two galaxies yeah. smashed together. That, yeah, that's like the most. That if someone made that a sci-fi like you know concept or you know plot point or something, I'd be like, that seems unrealistic. You know? <laughs> right, that's that's impossible. <laughs> like, God, I can't suspend disbelief that hard. Can't put put one past me, author. But like just the the fact that I mean now you've seen them both so you can like uh, toggle between them. Um, but yeah. the fact that like if you look at the the mid infrared uh, and you can see uh, from the mirror cam that outside ring that is just the only reason why that exists the way that it is is because of just that first ripple and picking up all that space dust and creating all those stars. Craziness is so beautiful and crazy, mm-hmm. and we were never able to like we we theorized that it was there. We could see like evidence that it was there in some of those other images, but to see it so clearly, especially along the, the edge that's closest to us, which is the really bright bottom left or bottom right corner, um, like just so many crazy cool like little star systems getting created. Uh, it's just, it's amazing. It's seriously amazing. Star forming ring. That's a, yeah. that's a thing I didn't know was a thing. There you go. Um, unbelievable, dude. Unbelievably cool. So, so Mars stuff also, also makes me happy. It, Nick, how long do you feel like it's been since Mars, the Mars lander landed on Mars? Like if you, um, if you had to, if you had to take a stab, like the most recent one, uh, Two it's, years? Happened, it's happened since our podcast started. So I can, I can give you uh, that so a year, a year, a year right is what you would say. Yeah. I mean, the, the two things you said. I split the difference. It landed 18 months ago. Okay. Um, and so for me, that seemed like a long time. I mean, it's, it's just, it's crazy to think that these like monumental things that I know that I have like on video, me watching the original craft taking off. And then I have me watching the, like the, the play by play as it landed. Uh, like this is a very monumental thing. I remember like watching the first flight of the, the little helicopter guys yep. and it, it, like just everything went so well. And this is to me the first big like announcement, quote unquote, since they've started the mission, like the first deviation perhaps from what the original plan was. So the original idea was among many, many other things, we were going to take samples of rocks from Mars and somehow get them to Earth, which, as you might imagine, is kind of a challenging problem. I was going to say, does it sound for. easy? Um, the original idea uh, was that we would, with perseverance, go through and pick up rocks, put them in a capsule, and a future uh, rover of some sort or some sort of robot would pick them up, or even a person someday would pick them up and then ship them back to Earth. And that was that was our original plan. And then we got to Mars, and we've had these last 18 months, and it's gone incredibly, incredibly well. 
Um, but before I get into what has changed, I'll, I'll let me elaborate just a little bit on what we were originally going to do. So we were going to have a, um, a lander on land onto Mars, a new one. And it was going to be two parts. One part was going to be a fetch rover, effectively. Like, it was going to be a new rover that was right. going to go around where Perseverance went and go pick up these capsules, pick them up, and then bring them back over to what was the second part, which was the MAV, the Mars Ascent Vehicle. And it was going to be a rocket that was going to launch into space. Okay. Um, and it was going to launch into space and uh, pass off these samples to um, an orbiter that was made by the European Space Agency that was going to pick these up and then come back to Earth and then land to Earth and we would have Mars rocks. So that was the original plan. Pretty wild. Um, a lot a lot that went into that. And like that wasn't just theoretical. There was a lot of science that had already gone into that. Okay. But That's, things okay. happen, Nick. Uh, yes. Feel free to interrupt me at any point. No, uh, I just, I'm like, just, I, I don't have much to say because it's just like, oh God, this, is, this no, sounds no. like... I, I feel bad for people having to go through all this. You know what I mean? Like this exactly. Is a lot. But sometimes, Nick, hard things end up going better than you think. So I in, it. Ingenuity was the name of the little helicopter friend that came with Perseverance. Okay. Uh, ingenuity did absolutely fantastic. There's been like dozens and dozens of more test flights than they were anticipating being able to do. Of course, NASA likes to shoot low, like, yeah, under promise, over deliver on literally everything they do that's extraterrestrial. So uh, it was, but but still, like they they did not expect it to work so well. Um, okay. and, and secondly, Perseverance is doing fan flipping tastic. And, and, and awesome. that's allowed a whole new scope of things to occur. So basically where we're at now is um, instead of sending a – and the other part of this too is um, the thing that they were wanting to do where they had the lander, where there was a fetch rover and then a rocket that would launch back up into space. That was super expensive. And so if there was any way to cut it. costs or, you know, the last thing we want to do is have the entire program cut. So we want to – if there's any opportunity to be more efficient, certainly willing to do it. Um, be from all the things that we've done on Mars in the last 18 months, we've been able to make it significantly less costly and it's pretty cool what we're planning to do. So we're the current plan now, instead of we're scrapping the old plan, perseverance is doing so good that we're expecting by the time that we get there to pick up the samples, which will be around 2030, uh, depending on how things go, but that's the current plan around 2030. We will, instead of having a fetch rover, we will have Perseverance be the fetch rover. So he'll pick up uh, wow. all the things that he's done so far and any future ones, and he'll grab them and he will take them over to what will still be the Mars Ascent vehicle, the MAV, so the rocket that's going to launch back up into space after it lands. So he's going to he's gonna pick up his own stuff, he's going to take it to the MAV, and the MAV is now going to have an arm that's going to be built by the European Space Agency uh, that's going to take them from Perseverance and place them inside the MAV. Hell yeah. Um, and what's even cooler is the reason why they feel so confident in this is that if it fails, the Ingenuity helicopter has done so good that they're going to send, because it's like literally a, like a hundredth of the cost, they're going to send two backup helicopters that have the ability to grab the samples themselves and hand them to the Mav, just in case Percy can't do it himself. So 
there there's just like there's like three layers Man. of redundancy here and Hell yeah. and it's going to be significantly cheaper 100% more likely to actually happen so and that's something i've always wondered about this stuff is like i've always felt that like oh dude if anything goes wrong like it's so far away it's so expensive it's so complex that like how do you build redundancy in i know you just have your your original thing way overperform and do awesome that's how that's, that's awesome yeah. The, the biggest stressor will be, can we land a a vehicle on Mars that is capable of launching off Mars and, rec, you know, having a reconnaissance with a uh, orbiting body that is going to go back to Earth? Like that, that is, that's tough. Um, but if it happens, sure. the actual picking up the samples of rocks and putting them on there, there's three different options for how this is going to work. Uh, either two of the helicopters or Perseverance itself. And that's so cool. And it's so great that like, we're so confident now on helicopter, uh, abilities on Mars that like, it literally doesn't even matter if the main fetch rover doesn't happen. The fetch rover that is now Perseverance, who wasn't even planned to be the fetch rover. Like there's just that this is so stinking cool that we've like we're so confident now whereas it was all just completely experimental when we launched this in the direction of mars dude i just i love it and it's so cool and so cheap much cheaper and more likely to actually happen and i'm i'm excited it's gonna be a long time 2030 is a long time away nick but i i just it's so i i'm i'm so happy to have this sort of thing happen in my lifetime and it doesn't get the attention that i think it deserves it's so it's so stinking cool i don't know dude it's it's really cool no no it's very very cool i i just i i just went up to the flow um and i don't have much to say except that it's awesome like it's impressive it's awesome it's awesome to see that like we're kind of back in space space and have like breaking new frontiers again because like we've talked about this uh, a lot but you know we didn't have this kind of success with yeah with space stuff at all for most of our lives like i or rather basically all of our lives right like so I don't know. This is really, really cool. Really wild. I'm super excited for it. I, I, I'm loving every update. And yeah, yeah, I don't know. Anyways, so this is a long, long space stuff segment. But hell yeah. Speaking of things I don't know enough about. Nick, do you want to hop into your thing? Uh, sure. Yeah. Okay. So we talked about this a little bit on our Patreon podcast. Um, but Bill Russell, um, the Celtic legend and NBA lesson uh, legend just passed away. Um, on July 31st, so uh, a little over, uh, or almost two weeks ago, and you and I haven't recorded a main episode since then. And uh, so I wanted to do a thing talking about Bill Russell because we've done like little mini Nick deep dives and Jeff deep dives on uh, players individually before. But uh, so I wanted to go into this and Bill Russell is a little bit unique for us in these kinds of things in that Bill Russell was an activist during uh, the 60s and during the civil rights movements in the 50s and uh, was a very outspoken and uh, public figure in that time on civil rights. And because of that, I wanted to do a little bit of focus on him as a person. And I think I have too much stuff to do uh, both him as a person and as a player. So today we're just going to talk about him off of the court. And then, yeah, because I think you should lead with it with him. He was, uh, I mean, I, I think that like short of Jackie Robinson and Muhammad Ali, who I don't know either of their stories nearly well enough to try to compare. And I don't know why you would you know like want to see who measures up higher i think he's like one of the most important black athletes of uh of all all time in terms of like his impact off the court um 
So, we're just going to do Bill Russell. We're going to leave with him off the court this week. And then next time uh, that we, that uh, whether it's, I'm not sure if it'll be our next one. If you, or if you have a topic, then maybe we'll do one of your topics first. Then whatever. I, we'll come back. I have or, nothing but a giant grin on my face right now. I'm so yeah. excited. <laughs> so, today, no basketball numbers or talk about basketball, really. Okay. But we'll come back at it. Okay. So, uh, Bill Russell, when he was drafted, he was drafted in 1956. And the only thing I'll say about him before he, uh, before that is that he comes into the, the NBA as an insane winner, insanely qualified. Um, he misses the first two seasons of his NBA career because he's playing in the, or he's in the Olympics. Uh, I actually don't remember if he was in the Olympics as a basketball player because, um, so I think he was a multi-sport athlete. Yeah. But, uh, but... So he comes into the NBA in, in 1956, and he's the only black player on the Celtics. They had had a previous uh, a black player previously, but he is the only black player on the Celtics. And Celtics is uh, are from Boston, for our fans who don't know, and mm-hmm. probably I'm sure most of you guys know. Um, and Boston was a little bit of a challenging place for Bill Russell. Uh, so talking about early fans, uh, and I'm quoting him here. I, I am going to quote a lot from in this, uh, one because I think like one, a lot of it's straight from his mouth and some of it's straight from, uh, I also quoted, uh, a couple of, uh, uh, things from his daughter, uh, who is, uh, a brilliant writer and, uh, incredibly, uh, intelligent, but, I figure who can speak to their experiences better than them. I'm not going to paraphrase. So, um, anyways, talking about earlier fans, um, a few years after he was drafted, he said, we had a handful of black men on the team. There were still only about 15 black men playing in the league. So I complained about there being a quota a cap to how many black players could be on the team. That complaint led to change. The Celtics also ran a poll asking fans how they could increase attendance. More than 50% of the fans polled answered, quote, have fewer black guys on the team. I refuse oh to let gosh. the... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine that being your response? I know we, like, I, I know that we uh, are, you know, in a world that, that has, there's no, like, post-racial world, right? Like, that's just not a thing in the world, unfortunately. But, like, yikes, just the, like, out there-ness of the, of the bigotry. It's a, it's a hard thing for me to even place that that is a thing that existed with a person who shared 32 years on this planet with me like that that is the experience that they had as a grown person and that person had that much overlap with my life because that is literally unthinkable to even to ah i okay sorry but just that is unthinkable by the way by the way freaking half fewer black guys on the team to increase attendance bill russell uh i i skipped over this part but he was a two time NCAA champion before he came to the league mm-hmm. and then he they won the championship the first year he was there and then they lost it the next season and then they won nine in a row or sorry uh nine in a row eight in a row like oh my what, are, what are you asking for you're asking for your team to not play the players <laughs> good like you're so dumb you're so stupid <laughs> <laughs> on top of being racist you're so dumb <laughs> like come on man oh uh, Okay, which by the way, like the the racism comes first. It totally does. But also, like yeah. you're want you want your team to be worse. You're stupid. I hate. You. <laughs> okay. <laughs> quote to him. I refuse to let the fans bigotry. Uh, quote fans. Evidence of their lack of character harm me. As far as I was concerned, I played for the Boston Celtics, the institution, and the Boston Celtics, my teammates. I did not play for the city or for the fans. Um, he makes this distinction a couple of times. He had a, a tough relationship with Boston, the city he was supposedly uh, representing, and he was, you know, it, it started off with an yeah. adversarial relationship before the civil rights movement had actually culminated, before the civil rights. Uh, 
uh, act was passed. Uh, and he handled it, I think, with, with as much class and dignity as he could. Uh, but also, like, out the gate, he complained about there being not enough uh, black players and that there being a, a quota uh, and a, a cap to how many black players could be on the team. And that went, led to change, basically. Like, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm sure the winds of change were running that way anyways, but that complaint led to change. Um, Absolutely, yeah. Okay, so um, his daughter, Karen Russell, uh, went to Harvard and wrote an article in the 80s. Uh, I should find the year. Hold on. Um, sorry. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Karen Russell in 1987 writes an article okay. titled Growing Up with Privilege and Prejudice in the New York Times. And she talks about um, her childhood. The article itself is less about Bill Russell and more about her perspective on being a black woman who grew up with both like the privilege of being you know a rich black woman with like yeah. all the, the the advantages that come with it it's a very um it's a very self-aware and vulnerable piece it's really really good if anyone want, is interested totally recommend it but it's not as much about bill this is the 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 stretch and i'm sorry for this being kind of a longer quote um where she talked about uh some of this like one of the, some one of the more difficult periods of times in her childhood um so quoting here one night we came home from a three-day weekend and found we had been robbed our house was in shambles and the n-word was spray painted on the walls the burglars had poured beer on the pool table and ripped up the felt they had broken into my father's trophy case and smashed most most of the trophies i was petrified and shocked at the mess everyone was very upset the police came and after a while they left it was then that my parents pulled back their bed covers to discover that the burglars had defecated in their bed no, every time the Celtic, yeah, every time the Celtics went on the, out on the road, vandals would come and tip over our garbage cans. My father went to the police station to complain. The police told him that raccoons were responsible, so he asked where he could apply for a gun permit. The raccoons never came back. The only oh time we gosh. were really scared was after my father wrote an article about racism in professional basketball for the, the Saturday Evening Post. He earned the nickname Felton X. We received threatening letters, and my parents notified the Federal Bureau of Investigation. What I find most telling about this episode is that years later, after Congress had passed the Freedom of Information Act, my father requested his FBI file and found that he was repeatedly referred to therein as, quote, an arrogant Negro who won't sign autographs for white children. Wow. Uh, I apologize for my use of that word. I'm just quoting there. And I, I don't you're, think. No, yeah. You're okay. You're yeah. Okay. Um, so, Whew. so, a little heavy. Uh, the, <laughs> I think, like, there's some other instances. Um, I, I read uh, the other article that I referenced a lot in this one um, was a Slam article uh, for Slam magazine that Bill Russell wrote um, titled... Oh, that's why I can't find it. It's because I, I don't know that it's, uh, I don't believe that it's a, uh, it's titled. It might be called Bill Russell's Fight Against Racism, but it's by Bill Russell. And I think that might be titled by the magazine after the fact. Um, but um, that's not the title of the, the, yeah. the website link. So who knows? Um, regardless, you can find it if you search Bill Russell's Fight Against Racism or Bill Russell Slam Magazine. Um, incredibly, uh, incredibly good piece. Um, he, uh, th- there's a lot of individual instances and one of the trends of it that is there in that 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 point about him asking their you know uh where he could apply for a gun permit is uh russell was taught at a very young age and i don't i'm not going to go into these anecdotes too hard but he was taught at a young age that he's living in a world where things aren't fair to him and it is his responsibility to stand up for himself and stand up for the people around him and uh he has an, a story about being nine and a, a, a kid slapping him and him complaining to his mom and his mom driving him around to try to find the kid and he thought that he's you know his mom was gonna make the kid uh you know apologize or get their parents to apologize or something and instead 
tells Russell, go stand up to him and tell him he can't do that. And if he's if he doesn't stop, that you're gonna fight him. And like that was the the lesson that he learned that like you know, which is is a different world than it is today, yeah. right? I, I, but there's a couple other anecdotes like that that really show like his fortitude and his like kind of bravery because i i mean even saying to like you know if, if vandals are coming and tipping over your garbage can in the 60s and you're a black man and you you ask the uh the police <laughs> where you can apply for a gun permit i'm not sure that always goes over uh, you know what i mean i'm not sure that always goes over well i think it's a dangerous like move but it's, it's brave to stand up for yourself so strongly um yeah yeah um so here's my my question to you nicholas so yeah i i've been broadly speaking pretty uninformed on bill russell type things Mm. um as a person who's been a relatively informed nba you know fan or yeah follower of the game was this something that was known or talked about regularly in any way shape or form prior to uh his death or decline um Yes. Um, so a lot of these are no- anecdotes. Um, so he wrote the Slam article in 2020 um, with a lot more anecdotes, I think, that, that hadn't been out. But he also wrote two books, um, one while he was playing and then one in 1979 that I'm going to quote in a little bit. Um, and uh, he's kind of known, him and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar especially, like there's, yeah. a, there's a lot of instances and talk about the racism they faced in the 60s, like in the aftermath of the civil rights movement shortly leading up to it. Uh, yeah. So it, yes, it is. But I think that there's been a really good emphasis on it since he uh, since he passed, and even uh, just today, the NBA just, uh, uh, announced that they're going to retire his. Uh, he's gonna, they're going to make his jersey the first jump, uh, jersey league wide. Uh, yep. Yeah. yeah, the retirement of number six. Yep. Yep. Which is crazy, but that that is very cool, and, and I think that's only happened a couple other times in sports. That's uh, Gretzky right. ninety nine and Jackie Robinson, Jackie Robinson 42. 42. Yep. yep. And yeah. Number six. That's that's pretty crazy. Which is earned and, and awesome. Um, yeah, I apologize. I know that this is going to be a lot of just me talking, and I apologize. No, no. I, yeah, I think I think it's great. I'm I'm I feel again like I texted you before we had talked about this. I feel very like uninformed, much more than I ought to have been uh, as a person. I uh, I don't I haven't followed the league as long as you have, and I certainly am not as well informed even now. Uh, obviously, so I just the opportunity hey. to learn is really great and totally. I'm the sort of person who loves learning about the historical <laughs> things about literally anything. And so to learn about a person who's uh, helped shaped our landscape today uh, of cultural understanding and uh, just how this right. discussion is ongoing. Like right. I, I feel honored to, to be a part of that. So no, no harm. <laughs> For sure, okay. I'm, I'm enjoying it a lot. Glad to hear, and I will try. I try to do it justice. Um, yeah, I, I, I think this is. I think he's just, just freaking impressive. Um, okay, so going back to him uh, after the break in, um, he actually looked. I'll quote him again, uh, but. I looked into buying a different house in a different neighborhood, but people in that neighborhood started the position to persuade the seller not to sell to me. Around this time, Medgar Evers, who, if you don't know, is was a civil rights activist, was murdered by the KKK. His brother Charlie asked me if I would do a series of integrated basketball clinics for children, which I did. I marched in Washington, supported Ali. After that, the death threats started coming. I said then that I wasn't scared of the kind of men who come in the dark of night. The fact is, I've never found fear to be useful. Um, oh my gosh. Right? Like, I'm not afraid of the kind of men who come in the dark of night. I say after talking about a civil <laughs> oh rights activist being murdered by the KKK. Um, oh my gosh. Medgar Evers was a was killed in 1963 uh, and was uh, what was... 
a big activist in Mississippi in particular um, uh, for the civil rights movement. Um, and so after his brother Charlie and him asked if they would, would if he would do an integrated basketball clinic for children, which he which uh, I, I know I already said that, but and he did, but it was really successful. And that was there's a theme of that when you when you read what he talked about mm-hmm. is Russell, uh, you know, wanted people to be seen for who they were. I know that's like the big theme of the '60s, and I know that sometimes like we overemphasize just the, the you know that line from Martin Luther yeah. King. But he talked about, uh, you know, like when he he was hired after he was after the end of his career to be the coach for the Celtics, um, or near the end of his his playing career, he became a player coach. Uh, when Red Auerbach um, moved to the front office, and um, he was asked if he got the job because he was black, and he said, "No, I got the job because Red thought I could do it." And yeah. he has this very positive relationship with um, a lot of the white players on his team, even the ones who, you know. Um, I'll talk about it in just a second, but he led a, uh, a he protested a game in Kentucky, and some of the white players didn't take part in the protest with him. And so, uh, one of them, Bob Cousy, later said it's one of like you know the shameful moments of his career. But they have they have a very strong relationship because Russell treated people with grace. Uh, I don't think he expected anyone to be perfect, but he also stood yeah. up for himself against people who had actual bigotry. And I think there's a big emphasis for him on things like integration and like being able to lead an integrated uh, an integrated basketball camp in the South in 1963 was a was a really big thing for him that he talks about multiple times. You can see him quoting it like a lot. Um, and so I think that's like the kind of way that he wanted to emphasize his activism was the like integration. And obviously yeah. we're, you know, 60 years removed and yeah, the world's a lot more, <laughs> especially sports, right? Yeah, a bit. But still, like, honestly, the thing that I can only keep coming to from all of this conversation to this point is, my gosh, how how did I not know this story? And how how are we not more aware of this as a thing that has occurred? And and I guarantee you there's analogs across all kinds of different verticals of uh, yeah. competition, but also just other things in general. Um, anyway, I... No, I... It's crazy to think that that is this th- that this is mostly new. I, I've, right. I've known like he gets heralded as an activist, sure, but like the actual details are not a thing that have right. been and a I, thing that I've been made aware of and, in, in, and, in a way. And uh, I I probably did a poor job laying this out, but I wanted to start out by just talking about some of the things he went through before he um before uh talking about some of the things that he did. Yeah. Um. But um, I mean, so. Uh, some of the things he went through, I think, are a very sensitive and hard topic to go to bring up. One, um, Karen Russell kind of alludes to the fact that people often downplayed the racism that she experienced, um, and I'm sure that there is an element of that as well. Um, when you know a police, uh, a police uh, chief, your local police. Uh, Station, I forget what he said. Uh, yeah, just uh, yeah. Police station uh, told him that it was raccoons that were vandalizing his garbage cans. Right. Uh, yeah. You know, that's probably them downplaying the racism that he experienced. And that was probably much more common and more pronounced in the '60s. Um, but I mean, I think it's it's a hard thing to, to educate people on. And how much do you educate people on like individual acts of bigotry? Because like you know, individual acts of bigotry have. Uh, I mean, like hate crimes are probably much lower than they were in the '60s, right? So like, I don't know. Right. It's 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 a very hard i i know that this is like a sensitive thing but i do think that we like you know there's a lot of value in like learning about like some of the detailed stuff of it which just sucks there's and by the way i i i pulled out i'm gonna stop with the instances of um uh the of of um 
the detailed uh, accounts of the, the race and the experience. But the list goes much, much further on. He talks about being pulled over uh, and uh, being pulled out of the car and having his hands up with a huge crowd around him. And uh, Oh, I can and, only and, imagine. Yeah, right. It, it, yeah, it, it's it's not great now. I can only imagine to hop in a fifty-year-old right. uh, time machine. It's not 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 great, but right. Yeah. So sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off though. About uh, no, yeah. no, 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 no. It, yeah, it's just ah, man, it, it hurts. It hurts to even think about. But uh huh. Yeah, I but agree. That's, I, I it's, it's easy to it's an easy thing to try to pretend didn't happen because that's what we want to do. But uh, just because but, we are want to do it does not mean that it is not the problem that we are still feeling the you know ripples of today or not even ripples like the direct <laughs> impact of depending on what the thing is. Right. Right. Um. So you know, one, uh, I I completely agree with you, and the ripples are still there, and I I just want to say that like you know I well he experienced so much and then has been a mentor for people in the league and for people outside of that in, in other sports as well mm-hmm. uh for his entire uh career his post-playing career uh or his entire life post-playing career i should say and i i think that's a huge uh statement all its own that he was able to live his life with that much grace but um to go into some of the like the individual acts of activism uh and some of the things that he said and believed in um in 1961, there's like a, one of the bigger ones uh, that he's that is often quoted for him. There was a Russell-led player protest after several players, uh, after several black players on the Celtics were refused service at the Phoenix Hotel coffee shop in Lexington, Kentucky, while they were in town to play the St. Louis Hawks. Um, Russell uh, t- uh, communicated with the players on the other team to coordinate a protest, and some of the white players, I believe, I, I didn't actually confirm that, but I thought that I had read that, uh, so I'm sorry, I, I couldn't find that, that detail. Um, let a player protest um, that, you know, uh, that is still mentioned to this day, and uh, was part, was brought up when he received the Medal of Freedom from uh, Obama. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Um, he also marched with Dr. with Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King during the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom in 1963 and was present in the front row for uh, Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. Um, wow. Which is incredible all its own. Um, I, I couldn't find this anecdote, so I, I feel like I may be mixing it up with someone else, and I apologize if so, but I thought that I had heard that he was supposed to be on stage with him, not necessarily at the I Have a Dream speech, but at some speech, and that Russell stepped aside because he wanted to give the, the activists who had actually done the work on the ground, um, done more work on the ground, uh, <clears throat> the spotlight, um, even though king had asked him but i couldn't find that confirmation of that and uh okay. so that i i you know that that may just be nick's memory mixing up different stories and you know how, how that is but um but h- him and king uh knew each other and were uh he was uh close to them and he talks about playing the day after king died and how it was uh a game with no with no life or love or joy um which i can only imagine um he also helped uh, students, uh, spoke to students in support of a one-day black student boycott of Boston's public schools to protest segregation that same year in 1963. And he was involved in local issues in Boston, including being involved in planning the, the graduation and speaking to graduates at a predominantly black high school in 1966. Um in 1967, uh, when boxing legend Muhammad Ali refused to fight in America's war on Vietnam, Russell joined other prominent black figures gathering in Cleveland to meet with Ali and uh, publicly show support, which at the time was very unpopular. 
excuse me, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the time was very unpopular. I think that's something that people don't really remember nowadays is that um, pe- the, a lot of parts of the civil rights movement, we look back on it fondly as we should um, and think of Martin Luther King Jr. and the civil rights activists as a whole as, uh, as a positive thing that moved America forward. And it definitely was. But at the time, Martin Luther King, as a public figure, had a uh, negative opinion rating in America. <laughs> you know what I mean? Which, That's insane to which think is about. Not, which is not the case now by probably 80%, I would reckon. Right. I, mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was higher. And I say that knowing what you're getting at, that like, you know, getting 80% approval on any human being seems, right. you know, yeah. like... <laughs> on, on the, the sky is blue. Oh, um, yeah. Well, it, actually, it's a little bit of a tealish uh, gray uh, something, And right? also it's a little bit blue and also a little bit red. So it's kind of red. Yeah, there you go. So there you're you go. wrong. Sunset is orange. I mean, I don't know what you want. It's, uh, <laughs> so I, 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 I agree with you, right? Like it's, it's, it's crazy, but but yeah, Martin Luther King had a negative opinion ra- uh, opinion rating uh, for good parts of his life, and uh, I, I will tell you that Muhammad Ali and uh, received death threats, and so did uh, and so did Bill Russell, and you know maybe you can say death threats are not necessarily indicative of a large majority, but as a black man in the '60s, I imagine that putting yourself out there for more death threats is not exactly comforting. No. Um, <laughs> no. So. Uh, there's that. And then, um, you know, I, I, um, the, the last one that I found really, uh, really interesting because I I hadn't heard this and I think this is, um, I think this is a, a beautiful perspective on, um, how to tackle hard issues, um, in 1979. And I, I hope that you like, you know, like I can impress enough. This is in 1979, this perspective, uh, he wrote a, uh, a second book uh, titled Second Wind. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and there's a quote in it here. I'm going to quote uh, two paragraphs from it. In a similar vein, I worry when I hear people... Cru- oh, and this is this is kind of outside of the civil rights activism. Um, it's, it's the last thing, because I, I think that he... Uh, I, I think that his perspective on it, when you read some of like his his words, it shows that it's, it's less about explicitly anything to do with just race and more about the idea of people being treated as as equal and with dignity and with respect to their freedoms and to their light their right to have dignity um so quote in a similar vein i worry when i hear people crusading in the name of their kids the most explosive social issues in recent years such as abortion pornography and busing have been debated according to their impact on kids or at least what people claim will be their impact on kids he says quote i can handle pornography myself you'll hear the parents say but I don't want my kid to be exposed to it. That's the voice of someone who's about to attack somebody else's freedom. People have persecuted uh, homosexuals for eons in the name of God and kids. Homosexuals, it's claimed, are vampires who replenish their ranks by preying on youth. We have to protect our children, is the cry. But homosexuals are our children, and we should treat them as so. As adults, they deserve the full respect given heterosexuals. I have my own fears and insecurities about sex, but I don't think it's my right to impose them on the world or to hide things from my children. I have too much respect for them to do so. My duty to them is to love them and to help them interpret the world so that they will be able to make free choices and act on them. I worry a great deal about my children, but the best medicine for those worries is in their strength and independence, not in their ignorance. And I I like, that's the end of the quote. I can't even imagine a pro athlete saying this in 1979. Like <laughs> that was so uh, lots of 
lots of feelings and opinions and such. Yeah. Um, here's where I would put that. That is buck wild to even say today if you were an athlete. So to say that 50 years ago is pretty yeah. crazy. Um, or 45, 43, 44 years ago. Right, right. I, I, I think... Like he he gets at it there too when he says that I have my own insecurities about sex. I think that a lot of people have insecurities about sex and they're afraid for their children. And I that's like an understandable impulse. But you know the the my duty to them is to love them and help them interpret the world so that they will be able to make free choices yeah. and act on them. Uh, the best medicine for those worries is in, is in their strength and independence, not in their ignorance. It's it's literally perfect, right? Like it's it's distills the problem down. If you even if it's something that you worry about. Even if it is something you're scared of, the best way to help them is to make them more complete people who understand others as a whole, right? Like you, you have to empower people. Right. The to... answer is not ignorance, and and, and, right. and the, I, I don't even think there's a world in which uh, that you can argue. I, I mean, obviously, there's a world in which you can argue at any point. Literally, right. that's the internet yeah, today. Yeah. <laughs> but like, Correct. I don't, Correct. I don't think that there's a good world in which you could argue any opposite of that. Like the the answer to a lot of our things things that are hard issues are just talk about it openly ex- like explain why you feel the way you feel and 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 honestly if the the worst thing that we can do is to result in love regardless like to 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 support regardless of what you feel like there's there's not a bad thing that's going to come from like helping other people I, I, we're we're flirting on like the antithesis of what this podcast is originally found out to I, I didn't, but I, didn't I don't even to, care. I, I don't yeah, even care. No, I, I, I think it's good. I think it's good. Like, like, like you said, and like, like he's getting at, like, it's about empowering people, right? You have to. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I, and I will say, um, hearing that as a voice from multiple decades ago, that. Yeah. That is incredible, and and I think we we'd like to nitpick sort of you know the 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 sort of things that are you know of our past, but there there's certain people that just have have voices that matter that that are valid across generations across um you know what has been lots of different ebbs and flows of political and uh, just popular opinion and at the end of the day there's certain things that just still ring true regardless and yeah i mean (laughs) treat people good and such yeah no that 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 still works that still works pretty good right i i I know that that was kind of uh brushing the edge of like you know talking about things that like are relevant today and everything i don't mean to do that Uh, no it's good i it does need to happen sometimes yeah but at the same time like i mean this is this is who he was this is a a person of compassion was like fully into the the end of of the end of it was a person of compassion and he uh instilled that in his children and uh, from, from what i can see in the writings from his daughter karen russell and i think he like you know he led with that uh you know his his teammates and uh uh were family for him long after their playing days and he was a mentor for players throughout throughout uh his life and you know if you want to talk about brotherly i think the the way you lead with it is to talk about the the compassion as a person like he's he was and i don't say that any of this i didn't want to bring any of this up to be like self-congratulatory dude who's like oh let me tell you about the the stuff the tough stuff he went through but it's it's this is you know the reality of like uh this is a a, a giant in, in the in the sports world that that i care about that uh 
that past in like his life to me is freaking inspiring and that kind of kindness led attitude and philosophy on life and outlook is exactly what i think we should should all be is like wanting to empower children wanting to uh treat them with more respect and give them a chance to to live life with more dignity and more uh and more knowledge than than we had is like the the i think that's that's what he was about Yep, and not accepting just how it's been because how it's been, and there's, yeah. uh, there's, there's a lot, a lot of opportunity for us to do better, and people like him have pushed us forward, and that's that's really cool. Uh man, one hundred percent agree. That yeah, I can't wait to hear about how he does in basketball. That'll be fun. Uh, <laughs> oh, uh, spoilers. He's real good. good. He's real, real good. Spoilers. He won a lot. Like he is uh, yeah. very uh, he annoyingly would not stop winning is uh, uh, <laughs> um, I, I think for this episode we can just skip all the pleasantries and, yeah. and just call it good uh, this has been fun we'll pick this up where we left off yeah.